My friends, toward the end of the first century, all of the disciples had been martyred for their proclaiming that Jesus Christ was the risen Lord. All but John. The temple in Israel had been destroyed. Jews had been scattered. It looked like God's promise was over. And yet John remained. And to him came this revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among people. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne, Jesus Christ himself, said, See, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this. For these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. My friends, praise God. The good news of Jesus Christ is upon us. For in his life and his death and his resurrection, we are made new. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Tell it to the world. Amen. Amen. Our Father, how grateful we are that we are forgiven and that the life and the death and the resurrection of your own Son is the written and blood guaranteed that that will never be removed from us. And we praise you for these gifts that we return to you, that you have given to us, that the whole world would know that Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, is the gift of salvation. And we pray that we would never worry about your will being thwarted because it will not. Thank you that we become ambassadors through your Holy Spirit to the living word of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'd invite you to join me in God's Word now. You may have your Bibles with you. We're in the New Revised Standard Version, or there are copies right there in front of you. And we're going to start in Jesus' prayer book. Jesus knew every single word of the Psalms, all 150 of them, by heart. And I don't just mean by heart in the sense that he had them memorized, but rather they were words that had become his heartbeat back to the Father. And it is in Psalm 30, verses 8 through 12, that we hear Jesus' praise of God and his acknowledgement of this great gift. To you, O Lord, I cried. And to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. 
You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. These are words written by David, but they are words echoed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And then we will turn now to God's word in John's gospel, the 20th chapter, a recount of the events of the resurrection. Chapter 20 of John, verses 1 through 18. Listen to God's word. Early, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that was John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Hear that again. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener. And he was, in many ways. Supposing Jesus to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
May God bring this word into our hearts, our minds, our lives, our living through the power of his Holy Spirit as we attend to his word. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, let your good news come now. Let it come and find every single one of us. Let it come and find every single place inside each and all of us that needs to know your resurrection promise today and every day. Let your good news come not only in word, but let it come in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I know this is the greatest day of the Christian year. It, it is a day, by all rights, we should be celebrating and dancing in the streets. And I know Presbyterians don't dance much, but we should. <laughs> I know we should. But honestly, I don't see a lot of joy on this day or because of this day. Not in the way that it would seem from what we've just read we should be. Oh, I, I see some Easter egg hunts. Where the heck did that ever come from? I know somebody can try and baptize it for me. But And I know there's a lot of big meals and, and celebrations, and a lot of them are happening right now among people that Alan has described who aren't here, tragically. But none of these things really have to do what this day is really about, and I think the reason there isn't much real joy, the reason there, there, we don't dance on Easter because of what, is because of what John tells us in verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now, I don't mean to be critical, really, but I want us to know the true joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as it touches every single component of every single day and every single breath we take. Because if we don't know that, we're going to be relying on the same things that those who are looking to the Easter bunny rather than the cross for their joy are looking. See, we don't understand what took place even now, and I'll tell you why. Because it is beyond our human ability to understand. We do not understand the resurrection because it's supposed to be beyond the ability of our human efforts to understand. Because if we could understand it, it wouldn't be what it is. You see, the supernatural message of the resurrection is that God makes possible in us what we could never make happen. That's the message of Easter, the resurrection. Mary and the boys, I like to call them. Mary and Peter and John and the rest of the disciples didn't expect a risen Jesus Christ. Did you know that? They did not expect a risen Jesus Christ because you know why? 
a risen Jesus Christ to their way of thinking was impossible. Now, I don't know quite why they thought that was impossible. Lazarus had been raised the week before by Jesus. But they were not expecting a risen, physically returned Jesus Christ. And even after 2,000 years, inside the church even, we too can think the resurrection is impossible, at least by what it really means. But it is for us an eternal and everyday message of what God knows needs to happen in our lives, and that is what God gives us the ability to understand through his Holy Spirit and through this event. You see, our sorrow from Friday, that rusty, crummy nail, is not so much that Jesus died, but that his death meant we have to give up all hope of finding meaning on our terms. Whoa, wait a minute. That means that I have to stop thinking that everything will be all right if no one I love ever dies and stays healthy forever? Yeah. You mean my hope is not that I always have the perfect shelter and all everything emotionally, spiritually, physically, everything isn't going to go my way? No, it, it probably won't. And guess what? We've all awakened to that, haven't we? All of us have had our hearts broken, haven't we? All of us have had someone die that we love very much. All of us have probably someone in our life right now who is dying. That's not my hope? No. That's what Good Friday is about, and that's why we call it Good Friday. Because what took place on Friday transcends all of the things that we would define as a means of hope and meaning and security. The grief is, the grief is that nothing we can ever do will be able to overcome our condition. Nothing will be able to overcome what we have done and what has, we have done because of our condition. What has been, nothing's ever going to overcome what's been done to us. Those scars, those emotional traumas, we won't get over those. Oh, we might heal some, and praise God that some of that's possible. But the reality is the grief of the cross is that Jesus Christ, here's the good news wears our dreams that have never come true. Jesus takes upon himself that which will never come true on our terms. He takes those broken dreams, and you know what he does with them? As the hymn writer Isaac Watts says, they fly forgotten. All those broken dreams, all those hurts, all those losses, all those fears, They fly forgotten as the day begins and we wake up to realize that nothing we can do is going to make those go away. But he can, and he has, and he will. The sorrow of the cross is that it's not going to work out our way. And that's okay. Because there's something so much greater than our way. And our Sorrow is that the cross says you have to give in. You cannot make it happen. It's like a a new Miranda Lampert song in which she says, 
I want to do right. I just don't want to do right right now. <laughs> I want to hope. I want to, I want to trust that the cross and Jesus are enough. But I want to have my own security blanket, too. I want to have my way of making things come about. Can't I have both? Can't I have my cake and eat it, too? No. The cross says no. The cross says that's not enough. You're at the wrong party. You see, we cannot know what Easter means. We cannot begin to believe in its promise until we are truly in touch what it took to get us there, and that is that God had to come in person to live and to die and to shed his own blood to make us whole. And we can't know what Easter is about until we realize that's what's going to make us whole, and that's the only thing that's going to make us whole. Chuck Swindoll, a pastor mentor to me, has shared the gospel with a, an unbelieving friend, and he said, I, I remember on one, this occasion, I was having lunch with this non-believing friend, and, and he was a very well-educated man. He was a doctor, and as we ate, I drew a chart on my napkin to illustrate how the death and resurrection of Jesus enable us to cross from life without him on earth to eternal life with him. Each of us, I explained, has a long record as a sinner because it's our condition we're born into it. It's not what we do before it's who we are. We can't make up for the wrongs we've done. In fact, it, it would be fair if God gave up on the whole lot of us. Did you realize that? It would be okay. It would be more than right. It would be just if God said, sorry, you're done. But instead, what does he do? He embraces us just as we are, and gives his prized son to make us whole and to have relationship with him forever. The penalty for sin is death forever and ever. But even when we're alive, we're not really living if we don't know the living God. So because God loves us so much, Chuck says, God sent his son. Jesus, to pay for our sins and to give us true life, to be right with God and to really live, to have your slate wiped clean forever. All we have to do is to trust only in the living Jesus Christ. It's God's free gift. And the doctor looked at Chuck and he said, Chuck, my friend, in a million years, I could never believe that kind of nonsense. That's the world we're in, my friends. Satan has hold of this world and has poisoned the minds of many and too often tries to poison our own minds and say, that's nonsense. That can't really happen. That, there's no hope in that for me. Come on, that's wishful thinking. But you know what? The doctor who said that was half right. We can't do it. I can't believe in that on my own. I can't make myself trust in the grace of Jesus Christ. It is impossible to believe that death and all that it means has been overcome. We can't believe in it for two main reasons. It doesn't mean we can't believe in it, but we can't do it ourselves. First is we will never accomplish this as human beings. It will never become a psychological 
physiological program. There may, there's never going to be any software that's going to be written that will allow us to believe. Even if we somehow find a way to bring someone back to life, guess what? It's going to be the same old life with the same old sorrows because you know what? It's not going to be the life John talked about in our assurance of pardon. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away and death was no more because even if we as human beings come up with a way to sustain life, and it doesn't look like we're working on that real hard. We're working on a lot of other stuff. Even if we can do that, guess what? We'll die. We will die. We will never be able to do that. But it will still be the same old life. And in fact, the second reason we can't, and that this isn't, we can't believe, is that we can't make ourselves believe in the impossible. Oh, we can fantasize. We can hallucinate. But to truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead means so much more than we know. We don't even go there to consider because our, our image of what hope is, is way too small. It's not that we want too much. We don't want enough. We don't let God's Holy Spirit inspire us with the ability to believe and imagine exceedingly abundant more. Now, even though Mary did not expect Jesus to be alive, she got up while it was still dark to go where she expected to find his dead body. The reminder that there had at least been someone who gave her life meaning, and she was going not to look for a risen Jesus, but just to, to reminisce, to nostalgically say, well, at least it was good for a while. Do you know that's what the definition of nostalgia is? Thinking that it's never going to be as good as it once was, the good old days? Guess what? The good old days weren't all that good. The reality is she got up while it was still dark because she needed something more than the good old days. The point of Jesus' life and his death and resurrection is, is that he came to find us in our inability to find hope. The point of Easter, the point of the resurrection, is that now, today, April 21st, 2019, while it may still seem dark, while what's going on in our lives may seem impossible, while our bodies are failing us, Jesus comes to find us. He comes to find every single one of us. And to say, I love you, I know what's going wrong, I know what's hurting you, and I alone can make you whole, and I'm here to do that. He comes in as many ways as there are specific human stories. He comes to every season in our lives, and he says, let me make you whole. You see, that is where we begin. That is where we begin to know what the resurrection means. It is as we hear Jesus call our name and hear him asking us in the midst of sorrow and darkness 
to do this. We hear Jesus saying our name and saying, come dance with me. Come dance with me in a new way of life. He is the one who knows where we have been and where we are. It is in his rising that Jesus takes the sorrows, the fears, the disappointments, and scatters them so far away. In fact, he leaves them in that dark place we call hell. That's why if in a little bit we're going to say he descended into hell. Do you know why? To take with him everything that would ever separate us from his love and his embrace. He takes them and leaves them in that dark place because we have forgotten how to dance, because we don't know what it means to love him, and because we can't take those lost memories and hurts and fears and our separation from him away. But he can, and he has, and he does, and he will. You see, the power of the resurrection brings to mind an old expression. Dance like you've never been hurt. Excuse me. Love like you've never been hurt. How about that one? Love like you've never been hurt? Yeah. Love like you've never been hurt. Work like you don't need the money. How about that? And dance like nobody's watching. That's what we need. And to do this is to accept that what Jesus did by going to the cross and then, and then coming out of the tomb so reorients us to what life is about that our mourning is turned into dancing. The things that would hold us captive and break our hearts become the things that cause us to jump up and down and celebrate and point to the cross. We lose self-consciousness because of the resurrection. We lose all of those, but what abouts, or you don't understand, because the reality is he knows about the what abouts, and he does understand. Because of this, it is not as if our sorrows never, and, and the causes of those sorrows never took place, but they are redeemed. They are redeemed. They have a purpose. They have value. They become part of our reason, in part for dancing, because you know what those sorrows do? They lead us to the empty tomb. They lead us to look in. You see, the stone was not moved so Jesus could get out. The stone was moved so we could get in and realize he had conquered everything. Where we hear a life-changing question. Jesus looks at you and me in the same way he looked at Mary and he says, Why are you weeping? Why are you sad? Why are you in total despair? Now we could answer, well, because she didn't know Jesus had risen. But the question for Mary and the question for the Mary in each of us is, do we know that it is Jesus who asks us in the big times and the small times why we are weeping or complaining or worrying? Do we know that Jesus is looking at us and saying, don't you know that I have all of this? Do we recognize when Jesus is looking us straight into the heart and telling us that whatever it is we are facing, whatever we have faced, whatever's been done wrong to us, wherever we have failed, he has hold of that. 
He's always had hold of it. Since before the foundations of time, before any of us was a glimmer in anybody's eye, he's had hold of it because nothing we face is ever happening without first being filtered through the love and the saving grace of Jesus Christ for his glory. Do we know that? Here's the power of Easter. The resurrection is not true because we believe it. It is true because it enables us to believe what we know we should not be able to believe. There's the power of Easter, the resurrection, that we are able to go, nope, death has no power. Whatever's happening. Death and taxes, they tell me. They never go away, huh? Yeah, they do. Both. This event is the promise of that. This event really took place. They may have found the nails, but they never found the body. Jesus really rose. This event took place, really took place. In part, we know that because there is so much evidence. 500 people saw Jesus alive after he rose from the dead. But because we know that lives are continuing to be changed by the resurrected Jesus, we know he really rose. Healing is happening. New life is happening. The church is alive and breathing. It is not dying. The Gallup poll may want us to think that it is, but it's not. Because it's not about numbers. Remember, God is the home team. And in the bottom of the ninth, anything is possible. Mary and the boys were just like you and me. That morning, they got there. They were ready to climb into that tomb because Jesus was dead. They were ready to say, seal it up. Just leave me in here with him. I'm done. But they were encountered what? By the risen Jesus Christ, and that changed everything. Past, present, and future. It enabled them to show that our hope is not in the things of this life. Not in what we get right or what we get wrong, but what God has made right in overcoming all of our losses and all of our failures, all the things that have broken our hearts and separated us from God and from hope. The resurrection is God coming to rescue us and heal what we can never let go of because our old life won't let go of us. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Because of what he has done, we have more hope than those who think they've got everything in this world. Mary said something we can all relate to. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. They've taken away my hope. She was saying what we say when we think there is something in this life that will make us whole. What am I going to do without my security blanket? Whatever it might be. The resurrection says no way is your hope gone. In fact, your hope is that nothing in this world can save you. Guess what? All the things of this world show us that we need something more because they go away. They disappoint us. God's love can 
save us. And God's love does save us and is offering that to you and me in the face of everything that leaves us empty. The only emptiness we need is the emptiness of the tomb, and that has happened. That is why Mary heard that morning what God wants us to hear every morning and every day and every night, especially those dark nights when it seems that nothing is right. And this is what he wants us to hear. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. What the the resurrection of Jesus tells us is that God's victory exceeds what we can imagine or believe. Let me tell you on a very personal note, my father, who would be 106 this year, had a tortured life. A great man. I loved him very much. But he had a tortured life. 38 years as a welder at Solar Aircraft. The details of his life are not important. But he knew that God is the great deliverer. In all of his torment, he knew that God is the great deliverer. I know that today my dad stands whole and complete in the presence of the living God who died and rose to redeem the worst of my father's life. His mourning has been turned into dancing. And let me tell you something, my dad could never dance in this life. Believe me, my mom spent a lot of money at Arthur Murray with a lot of hope. (laughs) But today, you know what? My dad is better than a stair and Gene Kelly put together. He can move. (laughs) And do you want to know? You want to know how I know? Because even though he could not imagine being able to rejoice ever, God could imagine that. God knew that he was going to make my dad to rejoice. The morning was going to be turned into dancing. The bones that God had broken, God would put back together. And the reason I know this is because my dad, who was ashamed throughout his whole life of not being able to express himself and was horribly self-conscious in social settings, became a completely different man when he get this, became a completely different man throughout my entire life when he did this, when he prayed out loud in front of people. The promise of the resurrection poured out of that man as he boldly approached the throne of God's grace, seeking redemption, forgiveness, healing, seeking to praise God for promises, get this, he knew would be fulfilled. And when he prayed, you could see that man dance. When he prayed, He was free. That is the power of the resurrection, and I I encourage you to pray out loud. Pray out loud. Even if you don't think you can pray, even if you don't think you can dance, pray out loud. Give God's Holy Spirit room to work. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Carlos. He's a cab driver. He don't speak too good English, but I think you're going to really appreciate how he shows us that what God does takes us beyond what we expect. Carlos is a cab driver in Miami. 
but he is also one who proclaims to us what God can do. Paul? Margo? Paul Weaver put it so well. The resurrection asks us, who would have thought a cabbie could sing like that? The same people who believed that a carpenter could save the world. He still had his hand on the wheel. He sings to people like that as he drives them around in his cab. Can you imagine? He goes, okay, we're here now. And they go, oh, no, no, we just want to keep going. Just <laughs> Here's some more money. Just keep driving us. That's the promise of the resurrection. Jesus says, just get in my cab. I'll take you exactly where you need to go, and I'll sing to you all the way. My friends, that's the promise of the resurrection. Because we become people who have rhythm and grace. We can move, and we're new people because all that has hurt us is gone. Every tear is wiped away. Death has no more power. To dance with Jesus, to dance with Jesus, is to hear him say, I am risen. May we let him turn our mourning into dancing as we respond to him by saying, you are risen indeed. Come on. You are risen indeed. You are risen in me. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what you have done changes everything. Come in the sweetness and fullness of your Holy Spirit right now into this place in every heart here and cause us to believe what we couldn't otherwise believe on our own. Lord, if there's a heart here that has never said, come, Lord Jesus, and live in my life, let this be the moment that happens. And if our hearts have become heavy and dark and the stone doesn't feel like it could be ever moved away, move that stone right now. Cause us to come out and dance with you and proclaim to the world that your risen promise is all we would ever need. Be glorified in us for your sake. In this day and every day, we love you, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up. Now, my friends, realize as we go out of this place, we go out of an empty tomb into the streets to proclaim the risen Jesus Christ in everything that we are about such that nothing that we encounter or anyone we encounter will experience can hold us back from that amazing love. And most of all, realize we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and go joyfully dancing in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.